Welcome to Tales of an Outdoor Writer. I'm Mark Freeman, Outdoor Writer for the Mail Tribune in Medford, Oregon. Here we are as usual in the second floor balcony of Common Block Brewing Company in downtown Medford, talking about the stories behind the stories that show up in the Friday's Oregon Outdoors section in the Mail Tribune and 24-7 at mailtribune.com. Got with uh, me, as usual, my partner in grime, Jimmy Lush, Mail Tribune photographer. We've got a special guest here in a little bit, but you know, Jimmy, I want to start off today with something that I don't think I've ever told you about my career. It's actually started as a photographer. <laughs> Mark Freeman, the photographer? Yeah, 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 that's pretty bad. Uh, Actually, it is 1977. Uh, I was in seventh grade at Jesus School in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, I had this real issue. It, it's, a, it's a Catholic school. It was run by a bunch of nuns. It's just so brutal. You, know, you, you take a bunch of these, these crazy little kid boys running around, and, and then the people in charge of them, and these old ladies that want nothing to do with men. You know, it was just brutal. Just set up for, for why I got a lot of these uh, authority issues. But, you know, I, was, I used to like to wander the halls, and you're never allowed to do any of that stuff there. I found out if you were on the newspaper, you could. It was a hall pass. So it, instead of getting yelled at, it was, F you, I got a pass. <laughs> so they, they just gave me a camera and said, okay, you're a photographer. It's one of those little box cameras, you know, you hold against your chest. I was just running around, you know, trying to take pictures of girls and just basically just screwing off. But the best part is they had a, uh, the photo lab was this closet that actually doubled as the storeroom for all the chips and sodas and all that for the machines outside. So. And you have to lock yourself in, you know, so no one can come in and ruin your film. So I just go in and eat stuff and, and just float out and wander the halls. And after about two months, they figured, you know, I had done absolutely nothing, accomplished nothing. And there's all this stuff gone, you know. And, and they're like, hey, you're out of here. I'm like, oh, come on, man, give me another try. They're like, well, the only thing left to do is to be a writer. And I'm like, I can, any idiot can do that. Sure, I can do that. And, well... I've been proving it pretty much every Friday the last 29 years here at the Mail Tribune. Well, you haven't changed much over the years. That's a, that's a nah. long career in journalism. <laughs> no, I know, I know. But, you know, I wanted to talk about photography today because, you know, back in the day, you know, it was a lot of it was just me running around and doing these stories and taking some pictures. But really, as it evolved over time, you know, these, these stories and these packages that we do, they're really, they're really focused on images. You know, images that uh, we, you shoot either uh, with your camera or now uh, video images too, you know. We even choose stories now based on the images we plan to get or expect to get instead of just how cool the story is or not. Yeah, hopefully um, uh, without good art, we don't really have much. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it, it always strikes me that, you know, we go out and do these stories and we got to get these good images to tell our stories just like, you know, everybody else. Uh, you know, is looking to get good images to tell their stories. Their stories about their fishing trip, or their hike up Grizzly Peak, or, you know, what's, what's flying around in their backyard, you know? And, and, and I think, you know, if people learned a little bit more about how to take good pictures and, and, and how the pros do it, it could help, you know, improve the way they tell their stories about their interactions with the outdoors. Um, so talk about that, I've got you, Jamie, and with me is uh, Cry Solo. You know, Cry is a, a photographer and, and a writer. Um, she is the only winner, two-time winner, of the uh, Mail Tribune's Wild Bird Photo Contest. And actually retired from it last year, but I think you need to come back, you know. So we've, we've talked a few times, and, and my, my Twitter feed is always buzzing with stuff that um, you do. 
you know, pictures of, uh, you know, little birds like that Rufus uh, hummingbird he had just a couple days ago, just uh, suspended in the air. And you always get some really uh, interesting photos of um, insects. So how do you do all that? Wait, birds or insects? It's two completely different things. Okay, let's start with birds. <laughs> um, with birds, I started taking bird photographs because... Um, really because I just wanted to be able to ID things to know what was in the yard. Um, my brother had made a comment that he thought he wanted me to put together a photo sheet of all the bird species in the yard and I'm like that's pretty extensive that's why we have field guides and he said well there can't be more than like five or ten and I think yeah, I, I'm at 83 right now on on Eber with species just in my yard. And once I started taking the ID photos, then that made me want to take better photos. I, I had been more of a, um, I had done some people photography, horse photography. I had started out doing black and white, um, more shape-based, uh -huh. kind of uh -huh. more artsy stuff. Um, it's all art, it's all artistic, but, and I wasn't very good at bird photography. Right. They're small, they move fast. Right. Um, it's a hard discipline. I have a lot it of respect is. for bird photographers because it's insanely challenging. Yeah. It, it takes a lot more patience than I thought I had. But I also had a friend in Texas who's a brilliant bird photographer and she very, very patiently over three years, just through emails, she would, you know, look at my photos and critique them and tell me what so, to do. So, so, so I what's, had a lot of help with that. What's something that, that you see when people show you bird pictures that they take where, you know, a common mistake by, a, by a, an amateur photographer in taking a bird picture? Everything has merit. I mean, I want to say that we even have a, a hashtag on Twitter called Stick Happens because a lot of times you get, like, the stick covering their eye or a branch because you want them in that natural setting. Right. And a lot of people kind of go by this, oh, you have to have a perfectly clear background, you can't have leaves or sticks, and there's yeah. kind of two different schools of thought on that. I like to have a little more of the, the nature around the bird. It, it's, it gets, it's um, a hard, hard deal to, to get um, really up close, especially on your insects, and still get depth and, and all mm -hmm. that. I Usually, uh, the problem most people have, the, one of the hardest things, there's two things that are difficult about birds, past getting, finding birds and getting close to them. It's getting parts that are blown out, it's getting the yeah. contrast right, because a lot of times a bird will be up in a tree, you've got sun behind it, sky behind it, um, and I think that's the most common question I get and other bird photographers get on Twitter is how do you get that contrast balance? So what do you focus on? Um, I do spot focusing, mm -hmm. and if you're lucky, um, spot metering, light metering, mm -hmm. so that the darkest, you know, the dark, the bird is going to kind of change your exposure. If you're lucky, you have time to take a shot, look at what you've got, and maybe take another one. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always. Do you happen. try to shoot uh, early in the morning or in the evening, the magic mm -hmm. hour stuff, yeah. or you just shoot when it happens? And I just make, yeah. yeah. Wow, I make the best of whatever is available mm -hmm. um, because you get different birds at different times of the day and different places that you go. Um, and then birds in flight is my personal bane. I'm not very good at it. Um, it's tough. Very it's tough. hard to, to track them, to get them sharp, and it's we really just, technical. We just went over two last week in a video oh. shoot. We were doing a story for uh, television on uh, steel fishing, and we had a. Mm -hmm. A bald eagle fly overhead and an osprey right overhead, and we missed them both. 
it's yeah. just Birds in flight is almost a function of your equipment. I mean, if you've got really expensive, the nicest, latest, state-of-the-art equipment, and then you're ready for that action, you know, the camera oftentimes will do its job, but if you're without that super high-end stuff, birds in flight is really challenging, because you're talking about a little speck in, in motion. The camera doesn't know where to focus a lot of the time, I've found. I think a lot of times, though, for the regular recreating public, you know, the two things that they end up trying to do uh, is you know the fish hero shot and the landscape so what do you think some of the uh, tips for people shooting uh, you know the hero shot of like a steelhead or a big salmon you know what's gonna make that photo go from some crappy little blown out thing to something good enough to be in their uh, a computer screen as wallpaper yeah the fish hero shot I've taken a lot of those for the paper and for myself and the huge fisherman that I am my my wife holding up all kinds of huge fish but I think what I talked about getting a good exposure, especially on the fish, because oftentimes if it's a nice fish, it's really bright. Mm -hmm. And if it's a really bright fish and you expose for that fish correctly, you're going to end up with the silhouetted face. So trying to find a good even lighting is good. Okay. And then, um, you know, the peak action of that expression, I think for me, of the person holding the fish, mm -hmm. is what really makes a hero shot work. Mm -hmm. uh, when they first pick it up and they first hold it up, and you can even, you know, try to coax the expression out of them. Because it's really as much about the excitement of the person holding that fish as the fish itself. What about uh, releasing fish? How do you think people should, what, what they should do, you know, to release a fish? You know, get that picture, but still be, you know, honor that fish and uh, make sure that it survives and doesn't have to go through any crap just so you can get a picture. Yeah, so there's lots of, you know, laws for catch and release and trying to conservation of species for steelhead and after you fight a steelhead, especially in warm weather and the, the fish is, is tired, if you don't do a good job taking care of that fish and releasing it, the mortality rate can be quite high. So if you're messing with it, trying to take a picture, then its chances of survival go down. So my advice for, for being sure that fish is well taken care of is having the camera ready, having it out, even having your exposure preset, and then when you're getting ready to take the picture, have everything ready and then tell whoever's gonna take up, okay, you get one chance of this, let's, so when their hands are even in the water, you're explaining how to hold the fish. So when they do pull it out of the water, you've got a couple cracks, at a good, a good shots, and then that's it. You know, put it back in the water and hopefully you've premeditated and planned enough to where you've got one crack and exposures are set, and then you release the fish and hope, hopefully you've got it. You don't keep trying and trying and trying. What's even cooler is to go with the GoPro and get something waterproof and get it underneath the water and get that fish in its natural environment and swimming away from you. There's nothing cooler than video of a fish swimming away from you. Yeah, that's great. And then you haven't, you know, taken the fish out of the water too much. So. I, I got a friend in uh, Texas and she shoots for the Texas Parks and uh, Wildlife Department. And uh, she was telling me how they used to do underwater photography of those things, those kinds of shots and shots of spawning fish and all that, is they take aquariums with them and sink them in the river and put their gear in the aquarium yeah. and shoot through the glass. It's amazing how technology is. I thought about doing that one time. I went to Goodwill and I was like, and I'm like, nah, I'm not lugging this aquarium down the river. <laughs> I got a, I've got a Canon little elf. I remember those. Yeah, those are but cool. Full underwater housing flash. $200 at uh, like a scuba, they had a scuba sale downtown Medford, flea market. Thing. Is it a digital or film? Digital. Digital, wow. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, I know a lot of professional um, bird photographers, you know, a lot of guys in the Midwest, 
You know, they're out there all day, every day, no matter how cold it is or how nasty it is. And uh, it's just, you got to put in 10 hours a day to get your shots. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you come up with this stuff with these insects? Uh, most of my, it's, it's the same thing for a start. It's every day, not necessarily all day, every day, because insects are only out at certain temperatures. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're gonna, you can always find arthropods any time of year, but it's much easier when it's above 60 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I spend a lot of time looking at leaves. Yeah. Um, sometimes you'll, you know, I'll see something that I want to get a picture of and I'll chase it. I chase a lot of butterflies yeah. and I'm very glad no one's around to see me chasing <laughs> butterflies. Um, or sometimes I'll just sit and look and all of a sudden you start to see them. Little things moving? Yeah. You'll yeah. see movement or you'll see, my mom always taught me, my mom was amazing at finding things. She could find four leaf clovers, she could find, you know, arrowhead chips, she could find, you know. And she said, just always look for what doesn't fit in. Mm-hmm. And even with the amazing camouflage that some arthropods have, you do. You just notice something's a little different. The color's a little different. The shape's a little different than a normal leaf. And you ever touch them? I don't usually. I Because I started, when I first started getting into digital photography, I joined National Geographic Your Shot. Mm-hmm. I joined in 2007. Yeah, and you're all over that thing. They have ethic rules or ethics right. that you have to follow and you <clears throat> cannot move wildlife you cannot touch it you cannot move it you cannot put it in you know a prettier on a prettier leaf it's played as it lays there, there's a, a really good friend of mine named uh, michael furtman he's in uh, minnesota and he's just mm-hmm. been on this huge rant about people who are uh, mousing up owls he just absolutely hates that and he's uh gets in these uh, these battles on Facebook with these guys, and he's, he's almost got a law passed in Minnesota, almost got it passed last year, to ban uh, baiting, because that's, you know, it's not only really unethical to uh, chuck a mouse out there to get an owl to fly down at it, it's, it's really bad for the owl. It's really bad for the wildlife, too. Mm-hmm. Not only are you betraying people, you know, you're, you're getting them to fly in front of cars and all this kind of stuff, and it's just bad. People. It's cheating. It is cheating. <laughs> yeah, that's it, it's cheating. Well, I've taken um, one good wildlife, one good bird picture in my life, it was uh, really yeah yeah <laughs> it was 1992 and he remembers <laughs> yeah well because it's my only one it's a really good photo it's my only one uh we were on a float it was really kind of it was actually kind of a depressing day i was uh in with a odw fish biologist we were floating the lower road canyon in one day bombing the whole thing counting dead salmon it was during a drought it was a huge die off of spring shrink salmon in the canyon just dead stuff all over the place these big beautiful springers you know floating up in these eddies and it was pretty bad and and so I was taking pictures of the kind of that stuff and and we were just you know it was a long long day and we're in we're in one of these canyons and I was shooting an F3 remember those things from the World War II era I think not really that's I'm not that old (laughs) (laughs) and it had a big uh you know it's one of those the half half was the camera and half was the uh the uh, automatic advance and it was super loud it sounded like an ar-15 going off in your hands you know and it's super heavy too i'm gonna have to google that and uh <laughs> and uh and we were floating down there and there was this great blue heron standing on the bank right next to this uh this basalt rock and you know those things are so stupid you know you float down this happens all the time floating down a river you come up to a, a great blue heron it sees you it goes ah you're after me and it flies downstream 
usually like 150 yards, and then you float down to it. Oh my God, he's still after me. And they do it like three times where they That's finally okay. peel away and go. It's just like so stupid. So anyways, this thing starts to take off, and I just grab my camera on the side and just kind of point it at it. And just like, and, uh, you know, back in the day with film, when, you know, you shoot a whole bunch of stuff, we'd go out and we'd shoot like six rolls of film, just hoping to get one shot. You have no idea until you get back. And you're like, yeah, or you're like, crap. And, you know, and I didn't think I had this thing. And then and I was back the next day and ran my film. And at the very end, the photo was like, hey, would you get a great shot of this heron? And it was like, it was this beautiful picture. This heron was coming out of the water. Swings were out. You could see the reflection of it in the water. And there was a trail of water from its feet to the water. So it looked like it was on this pedestal. And the only reason I got it, what do you think? Yeah, I think it sounds like a lot of luck to me. Yeah, <laughs> total luck, total luck. If I had tried to take that picture, it would have been out of focus. There would have been, you know, one of the feet would have been missing. And uh, I would cut the top of its head off like the way my mom takes pictures all the time. Yeah, as photographers know, luck definitely plays, plays a role. So if there's one thing both of you can give as advice, I know people ask you this stuff all the time, but, you know, one thing to make that outdoor picture better. I know, you know, one of the things we struggle with a lot is light. Mm -hmm. So what about light? What about light in the wood? You know, the, as a photojournalist, I oftentimes, oh, I pretty much never get a shoot in the magic hour or the, the evening. So for me, the dappled lighting in the woods, when you've got the bright sunlight that's coming through the tree and then you've got deep, dark shadows, is just impossible lighting. So you've really got to find a solution around that because if you've got super overexposed part of the scene and super shadow part of the scene, it's just not going to work. So what's usually your solution? So either to expose, well, I mean, it might be pretty technical, but expose for the highlight to make sure you don't have an overexposed part mm -hmm. of the scene and then use flash in your camera to fill in with strobe or uh -huh. artificial light where it, it is shadows. So what do you mean by highlight? So the highlight would be the where the sun is coming in and it's lighting okay. the, the brightest part of the scene would be okay. your highlights. So, so to get a correct exposure for that, and then an artificial light source to, to light up the shadows, or to, to try to look for where there's even lighting to get those highlights out of the frame. And then you can always add, use Photoshop to kind of clean up the light, right? Yeah, you can definitely use, well, I like to use the shadow highlights tool in Photoshop to, to bring up those, the shadows. If you've blown out the highlights, though, you're, you're pretty yeah. much out of luck. You're not bringing them back. Now, you're shooting in a lot of uh, mixed light as, as well, but... It's real micro, so what do you wait for, like, the bug to crawl into the right light or out of one light? Flash. Flash? Diffused flash. And I didn't, I didn't start out doing that. Um, when I started doing macro, I was just using natural light, and um, so I wasn't getting a lot of depth of field because you just can't, and, and especially in Oregon. It's kind of gloomy here and yeah. shady a lot. Again, a friend of mine... Um, you know, a couple of different photographers on Twitter were like, you've got to use flash and they give me advice on what flash to buy. And then you have just a homemade flash diffuser because oh, you're that's cool. right up next to, you know, you're this far away from little tiny. What, what does that mean? What's a, what does that mean? Can you explain a diffuser? Yeah, you well, have a you, better technical vocabulary. If you use than your on camera flash or, or any light source that's, um, you know, direct from the camera, it can be quite harsh and create harsh shadows. So a diffuser is essentially um, something to shoot through that softens the light and right. softens the shadows. Right. It's a much more pleasing image. Well, well, I was going to say, yeah, mine's just like a little styrofoam box with some white fabric on the front that you just, I 
tack onto my flash. Softens the light. Mm -hmm. That's cool. You know, one of the things though, I think you probably both agree, the best thing that you bring to outdoor photography is knowledge of your subject. Now, definitely not, not when I started. Um, it would take me hours to ID every single insect that I found. So were you shooting these um, to ID them or IDing them just because you were shooting them? Um, because I was posting them on Twitter and because I was already, when I, when I started doing the Crawley's column is when I started really wanting to ID what they were and also after mis-IDing a few on Twitter. Oh yeah. Um, and having one of those retweeted to a, someone that had 160,000 followers. That was really embarrassing. Yeah, they're relentless, aren't they? I still, I still miss ID stuff on a weekly basis. I mean, but that's how you learn. Right. Um, but, but that first big mistake was great. I mean, it inspired me to get better at IDing. What was it? Um, I thought it was a bumblebee, and yeah. it was a narcissist bulb fly. How, how could you miss that? Come on. How could I not know? What's wrong with you? You know, it's funny. Uh, we were on a hike here a couple months ago on the East Art Trail and saw what I thought was a bug, and it looked like this tiny little hummingbird. This tiny little hummingbird. And I uh, took a picture of it, and the, and the colors really clear. Just looked it up online, and it was a baby rufous hummingbird that was less than an inch long. I've never seen one of those oh, wow. before. Wow. Have you ever seen that? Um, I, in my yard, yeah. I get them. Oh, show so, off. Sorry. Yeah. Well, well, it's because I have eight hummingbird feeders. Oh, yeah. There you go. Chumming for hummingbirds, huh? <laughs> no, I, it's the only way I can keep them from, keep, get every, I get so many hummingbirds in my yard. A couple of years ago, I had 45. Oh, wow. E-bird was like, um, that's a really high number for your area this time. Could you prove that? I'm like, click, click, click. Uh, Here you go. <laughs> um, but I, I think I had about 25 for most of the season and the males guard so fiercely that I just keep putting up feeders until everybody can at least eat especially yeah. early in spring when there's not a lot blooming yet so you Jamie you know knowing what we're doing means the world to what you're doing yeah for my outdoor photography the my favorite is, is fish photography and as I'm just a crazy fisherman, so I, I know when that steelhead's going to jump. I oftentimes know when it's going to hit. I know um, just from spending so much time reading fish magazines what uh, good fish photography looks like. So sort of putting all that together has allowed me to really get some awesome fish pictures over the years. So the cartwheel and steelhead, sort yeah. of that, those epic shots. I've definitely pulled off a couple of them. Yeah, you know, it was funny. You know, right when we started working together over 10, like 12 years ago, I'm like, Who's this dude, man? Who's this, you know, what's with this guy, man? He's just—he's this young kid. He's like barely uh, pay attention. What the I learned pretty quickly. On? I saw Mark, and I was like, pretty sure this guy can get me out of the office a lot. So <laughs> and, I started kissing ass right away. And it was really bad because we'd go out and do all this all stuff, right. and I'm the voice of reason in this group, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's kind of fun. He's a bit around, and and it's like second or third thing we go out. You got this great shot of this jumping steelhead next to a boat. And this guy leaning over, this big grin on his face, and just perfect, perfect shot. And we brought it back. And uh, one of the other photographers on staff said, "God, I've been going over this stuff with Freeman for 15 years, and I've never got one jumping fish shot. And he's been here three weeks, and he's already got one." Uh, it's just because I know fishing. So yeah. If you yeah. know, you know your subject. You're, yeah. you're, it gives you better odds to to create that luck. Know your subject. Yeah. And, and I'll I'll clarify. While I don't necessarily. Even when I started, when I didn't necessarily know what the specific insect or spider was, 
you learn their behavior. Right. And it's the same. And insects, you know, I know when they're going to be amenable to being photographed. I know when they're scared or threatened. I know. Talked about temperature. Where, right, temperature. Um, I know where they're most likely to be, what's going to be, you just, you do. You learn your, your subject. And the same with birds, just from watching them year after year. Well, that's what we have for you today. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend. And if you don't, share it with your enemies. Either way, come on down to Common Block and uh, buy me a beer. Till then, we'll see you outside.